Welcome back to the Good Earth Podcast. This is Abby with Christians on Campus, and we're excited to be back with episode 50, the second episode in our series, This Mystery is Great. Already in this series, we've seen that God had a will in eternity past, that there would be a counterpart to match him. How can this counterpart be achieved? How is the bride of Christ going to be established? This week, Jake is showing us the significance of Christ's experience on the cross and taking us back to Genesis to show us an important parallel for us to see where the church as the bride of Christ comes from. Stay tuned to hear how this mystery is being fulfilled. Last week, Danny continued our series uh, for the Bible study called This Mystery is Great. And he took us on a trip through many verses showing us that God had something in his heart from eternity. And it's a great mystery that no one could discover on their own, with their own mental acuity, because it's something that only God can reveal. And according to Revelation 4.11, which is the first verse I have here, everything that exists including you and me, we exist because of God's will. It says, because of your will, all things were and were created. And for generations after man was created by God, no one understood what this purpose was. There were hints at different times, and, you know, Danny mentioned Job. Job was one who, as everything was being stripped from him, he spoke to God and he said, I know there's something in you, God. There's something in you that is motivating you to allow this to happen. But he didn't know what it was. The book ended and he saw God and repented of himself and what he was, but he still didn't know the purpose. So generation after generation after generation after generation wondering, what's the meaning of it all? Why do we exist? What is the purpose of human life? And it's not until God made it known that anyone could understand. And Paul said, it was by revelation that this mystery was made known to him and to the holy apostles and prophets in spirit. So that's Ephesians 3, 3 and 5. So no matter how sharp our minds are, um, this is something that can only be known in spirit. And uh, I like the example that Danny used of The Price is Right, because if you are familiar with that game show, there's a part at the end where they do what's called a, I'm blanking it, is it the carousel? What do they call that at the end where you're trying to guess the price of something? Anyway, showcase. It's called a showcase. So the showcase part of the show, usually what they would do is put out a bunch of different items, and then you have to guess what the cost of them are, and then you can actually take those home with you. Now imagine if it was reversed. Imagine they give you the price. The item is there, but it's hidden. It's veiled. And you can speculate, you know, maybe you could see some of the shape of what is underneath the veil. And you could say, oh, I think that could possibly be a grand piano. 
but maybe it's a 50-inch television just still in the packaging. I don't really know. And the, the cost helps me kind of guess. But until that veil is taken off, it's not possible for you to really know what that is. And that's how our spirit functions in our being. God wants to unveil his heart to us. And we can speculate what he wants us to know from the Bible. And we can understand with our mind. But until he takes the veil away, we really don't know. And so we need to pray that the Lord would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can see. And as you're listening, you need to listen in your spirit. And then as I'm speaking, I need to speak in my spirit and then God can show us something. What will God show us? When we exercise our spirit and we pray for the eyes to see, what is he going to unveil? He's going to unveil what has been occupying him from eternity, which is this great mystery. This was revealed to the Apostle Paul. And Paul said what was given to him was given to him for us. He is our pattern. And we need to see the same thing that Paul saw. We need to see this great mystery, Christ and the church. Christ is God, and God in Christ wants to get married. So maybe we can just start by kind of reviewing who is Christ. A kind of a brief summary, I mean, Christ is unsearchably rich, meaning you can never search out the depths of who Christ is. But just to give a, a brief little summary, from eternity, the God who created is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. The three of the Godhead are one, and God the Son was there from the beginning, having this eternal purpose. And among the Godhead, it was decided that God the Son would be the one to come. After the creation, after there's mankind, there's generations of human beings wondering what God's purpose is, God the Son then enters into humanity and becomes a man, Jesus Christ. And this one, after he was born, didn't just materialize at the cross as a 33-year-old man to be crucified. He lived a whole human life. He was a toddler. He was a, a young boy who taught and asked questions in the temple and was subject to his parents. He had siblings. He was a carpenter. He was such a normal man that people couldn't believe that he was the Christ. They said, this one's just the carpenter. This one's Joseph's son, and we know his siblings. This can't be anything special. So this was the Lord, and then he began his three-and-a-half-year ministry where he spoke the gospel, he taught men concerning the kingdom, he healed, he cast out the demons, and then he went to the cross to die for us. And while he's on the cross, there are two very important details that I want us to pick up today. One is that he was pierced. Do you remember this detail? The soldiers, 
pierced his side with a spear, and two things came out. One was blood, one was water. The blood was to redeem us from our sins, and the water is a picture of God's life being released to get into us. Why did the soldiers pierce his side? What they did to the other ones was break their legs. The Jews, at the time that the Lord Jesus was being crucified, they didn't want there to be these people. So the Lord is there, the two criminals on either side of him are there, and there could have been others. There's people hanging on the cross, and the Jews want to celebrate the Passover in peace. They don't, I, I don't fully understand why, but they didn't want anyone hanging on the cross. And so they asked the Roman soldiers to go break the legs of the men on the cross. Why? Because when you're hanging on the cross, what actually kills you is suffocation. There's a lot of shock to your body. You are losing a lot of blood, but ultimately... The weight of your body is pulling you down, and you, your lungs get compressed until you can no longer breathe, and you suffocate and die. And so the whole time that these men are on the cross, their gravity is pulling them down, but they're pushing up to get a breath, and then getting pulled down and pushing up to get a breath. Abby here. Did you know that our podcast is based on a weekly Bible study on Wright State University campus? If you're on Wright State campus, you can come join us at 2 p.m. in Wright Hall, 020 on Tuesdays. Come join us and get into God's Word. Back to Jake. Now imagine if someone comes and breaks your legs. How are you supposed to do that? You just fall and you suffocate. So the Jews, they want to have the Passover. They don't want to worry about people on the cross. They say, please break their legs so they can die. We can get rid of them. We can move on with our life. So they break the one, the, the two robbers, they break the one on his left, the one on his right. They come to break the Lord's legs. What happened? He had already yielded up his spirit. And this was a fulfillment in the Old Testament, or a fulfillment of a prophecy in the Old Testament that no bone of his would be broken. So there's these two very important details that... No bone of his was broken, and his side was pierced, and out came blood and water. So one more thing from the New Testament, and I'd like to go back to the Old Testament. So the Lord shared something, you know, talking about Revelation. He revealed something to Peter that was very important, and it has everything to do with this great mystery. Remember, the great mystery is Christ and the church. So when the Lord mentions the church and unveils something concerning the church, it's very important. Peter and the disciples were with the Lord Jesus, and he began to ask them, who do men say that I am? And they began to answer. Some say, you're Elijah. Some say, you're the prophet. Then he asked them, 
But you, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You didn't figure this out just because you're a smart guy. My Father who is in the heavens revealed this to you. This was a matter of revelation. And upon this revelation, Peter, what you see concerning me, who I am, I will build my church. Okay, so those are the details from the New Testament. Remember, because of God's will, this great mystery, all things were and were created. So when we go back to Genesis, we can see hints of these details all the way back then. Because the Bible is one book written by one God with one eternal purpose, to gain Christ and the church. So have you ever thought about the fact that the Bible begins with a marriage? There's so many things that happen in the beginning chapters of Genesis. God creates the heavens and the earth. The earth becomes waste and emptiness. Darkness is upon the surface of the deep. The spirit is brooding. God says, let there be light. There's light. He separates the waters from the waters. There's an expanse that you call heaven. Then there's the land coming up out of the water. There's land in the sea. There's grass, herbs, trees. All the while, like Danny was sharing, God is saying, good. The land is good. The grass, the herbs, the trees bearing fruit according to their kind. Those are good. Now create the fish. Let there be fish to swarm in the seas. Let there be birds in the heavens. Uh, let there be the cattle on the earth. Let there be the beasts. These are good. Then he creates man. Very good. But then something is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. All of this is very significant. And you know how we know why? Romans 5.14. Again, the Apostle Paul. He said that Adam is a type of him who was to come, who is Christ. What is a type? What does it mean for Adam to be a type of Christ? I don't know if this is the best definition, but this is how I currently understand it. A type is a person, place, or thing that functions as a spiritual representation of something. So, for example, the Passover lamb in Exodus. God is bringing the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And he has them spread blood on the lintel of their doorpost in their house to preserve them from the death of the firstborn, the plague. The blood of what? The blood of a lamb. That's why the children of Israel had the Passover. They took the Passover lamb, they slayed it, and they put the blood on the door. Okay, now John the Baptist... John the Baptist sees the Lord coming to him. 
what does he say? He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, is the Lord Jesus a little lamb with four legs and a tail? Does the Lord bat like a sheep? No. But the Passover lamb is a type of Christ. It's something that functions as a spiritual representation of Christ to help us to understand Christ. Who is Christ? He's the lamb whose blood was shed for our sins. Okay, so just the same. Is Adam Christ? No. Adam was a sinner. Christ never committed a sin in his life. But Adam, in him, we can see a picture of who Christ is. Okay, so with Adam, God said it was not good for him to be alone. He needed a helper as his counterpart. And so what does God do? God brings him all the animals. And let's just imagine the first animal God presents is a turtle. And Adam has a need for a counterpart, so he's examining the turtle. And he says, no, this is a turtle, but I, I could never marry this turtle. Why? Why can't Adam marry a turtle? Because the turtle doesn't have the human life. The turtle does not match Adam. Okay, what about a rhino? The rhino comes up to Adam. Adam is looking for a counterpart. He looks, nope, not going to work. Can't marry a rhino. I'll call you rhino. Go away. All right, who's next? All the way through all the animals. And then there's a verse that says, none were found. There was not found Adam, a helper, as a counterpart. So God takes Adam and he puts him in a deep sleep. And sleep in the Bible is a picture of death. So in a way, God put Adam to death. And while Adam was in this deep sleep, he opened up his side. He took out a rib. He took out a bone. And he took that rib and he built a woman. And Eve was produced. And when Eve was presented to Adam, he said something. This time, all the other times, all the animals, none were found as a counterpart to me. But this time, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, because out of man she was taken. So what do we see? Remember, Adam is a type of him who was to come. When you see Adam, you can see something concerning Christ. Adam needed a counterpart. There was nothing that could match him. Not until he was put to sleep, his side was opened, something was taken out of him, a bone, and built into a woman. Now there's one with the human life. Now there's one that corresponds to him, and he can, 
he can rest, he can be satisfied in this one because there's one to match him. All of these things are happening because of God's will. All of these things point toward Christ and the church. Christ needed a counterpart. There was no one who could match God in eternity. Only God was God. Even he creates man in his own likeness and image. But man is just a creature. Man doesn't have the divine nature. And not only that, but man fell. Man became sinful. So the Lord had to die a redemptive death for man. How, how is Christ going to marry the church? How is Christ going to have a counterpart? He needs something out of himself to get into human beings. To make, just as he, as God, entered into humanity, he needed to give humanity the divine nature so that there could be something to correspond. He, on the cross, no bones of his were broken. His life couldn't be broken, but something was opened up out of his side. He was pierced, and water came out to get into us, to save us, to put his divine nature into us, to cause us to match him. And he will build his church. Today, he is doing one thing. He's building his church and when she is prepared, the purpose of creation will be fulfilled. We need the Lord to show this to us more and more and more so that our life can be given for this purpose. 